Oh boy, another hill. Be a lot easier just to get in the Jeep. Yeah. You know, you'd think those guys doing all the filming would toss us a muffin every now and then. They're what we in the running world called easy riders. Well, hello and welcome to all of you at North Richmond Hills, at South Lake, and at West Fort Worth. I even bring greetings this week to our Saturday night audience. Uh, usually we tape the Saturday night sermon and it goes to our other services and venues. But this week I'm in Austin on Saturday uh, watching my son play a playoff basketball game. So I'm taping this message a little early. So even Saturday night gets to watch a video this week. I thank all of you at all of our campuses for understanding it as our church grows why we have to... Uh, do what we do, and I thank you for supporting me as I support my family. So we're in this series called The Race. We're noticing how the Bible often uses the metaphor of running to illustrate what it means to follow Jesus. Now I want to start with a story about a man who's on a train. He's heading to Atlanta. The train is going to Atlanta, but the man wants to get off in Chattanooga. So he finds the porter and he says, listen, This train pulls into Chattanooga at 3 in the morning. I'm going to be sound asleep, but I need to get off this train. I want you to get me off no matter what it takes. I'm going to be sleepy. I'm going to be grouchy. I'm probably going to cuss you. But you do whatever you have to do to get me off this train at 3 in the morning in Chattanooga. So he goes on to sleep, and he wakes up at 7 in the morning in Atlanta. And he's furious, and he finds that porter, and he screams at him, and he yells at him, and he cusses him, and finally storms off the train. And then another co-worker comes over to that porter and said, man, I've never seen anyone so angry. And the porter said, you think he's mad? You should have seen the guy I put off in Chattanooga. You see, we all have times in our life where we got off track. And most of the time it happens unintentionally. In fact, it usually happens unconsciously. And this is another area where the metaphor of running is useful for the life of discipleship. Because many Christians have had their spiritual progress hindered. Because they weren't aware that they'd gotten off track, that they had actually changed lanes. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of Galatians. Let me set the background for you. Paul has planted churches in the region of Galatia. And later, some people from Jerusalem have come up to those churches and they have added to Paul's gospel. In fact, Paul says they have preached a different gospel. Now, it was very deceptive because they were still preaching Jesus and they still talked about the cross. But they said, you know, you really can't understand Jesus if you don't obey Moses. You need to be circumcised to be a part of of the church and this new thing that God is doing. And some were listening and some weren't sure. And it threw the churches in Galatia into turmoil. And so Paul is writing into that context. And notice again how he uses the metaphor of running to ask some very important questions. We start reading in Galatians chapter 5. And I want you to notice verses 1 through 7 how he speaks to their situation. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And now notice, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? In other words, Paul says, you were running in the grace lane. What are you doing in what I'm going to call the grind lane? Why did the Galatians switch lanes? Well, one reason was because the proponents of this different gospel sounded so sincere. They still talked about Jesus. They still talked about the cross. They just wanted to add a few things to complement and improve Paul's message. And on top of that, it just felt natural for their religious life to be like every other part of their life because in every other area of life, we operate on the performance system. The more you do and the better you do it, the more you're rewarded. So why shouldn't your religion operate like everything else? But Paul says, do you understand? You've gone back to slavery. Jesus didn't come to get you out of one cell just so he could put you in a new cell. And Paul likes to remind the Galatians how they started their race. Look with me in chapter 3. He said, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit... Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Paul says, you were shot out of the starting blocks by the Spirit of God. But now, you're just trying to run a new version of the old race you used to run. Now, we need to hear this word. Because even though the laws change, and I don't know that anyone now says you have to be circumcised to be right with God. But a lot of people... Add things to the grace of Jesus. And we have to learn to hear and resist the pressure to leave the grace lane. Because any time anything gets added to the grace of God. The race of discipleship becomes a grind. Now let me explain what I mean. You know you're in the grind lane first if you lose the joy of running. Think about it. Most people do not associate religion with joy. I've said before that when I got my first job in high school, I worked at the candy counter of a Sears and Roebuck in Oak Cliff in South Dallas. My manager's name was Charlotte. Charlotte was an unbeliever, a completely unchurched woman, but she liked me. 
Uh, I think she thought that I worked hard and I was honest. And she would often schedule my after school hours to be when she worked late. And so I've been there about six months. It's toward the end of my junior year in high school. And Charlotte asked me what I wanted to do after I graduated high school. And I said, well, I want to attend a particular Christian college because I want to study to become a minister. Now, I'd never told her that before. And she stopped and she looked kind of stunned. And finally she said, Rick, I just don't see you as a minister. And that perplexed me and I wondered why she would say that. So I said, Charlotte, why can't you see me becoming a minister? And she said, I don't know. It's just that, well, you've always seemed like such a happy person. It was my first taste of how most people perceive religion. Now, this is what happens when religion becomes a grind. Notice what Paul said in Galatians 4. He asked a powerful question. What has happened to all your joy? That's the first clue that you've changed lanes. Something has happened to the joy of life in Christ. Now, here's a reason. One reason the grind lane is so dour is because joy is based on a good performance. And if you base joy on a good performance, joy is always temporary because nobody can constantly turn in better times every time they run. I don't care how well you run, you're always going to have a run that's going to be worse than the one you finished before. Nobody always runs better every single day. But here's another reason the grind lane is the joyless lane. It's because performance-based religion has a negative impact on relationships. I remember when I ran my first marathon. It was interesting. I ran by myself, and so I began to have thoughts about the people running around me. Because you begin to compare how you're doing by how other people are doing. I remember at one point, about mile 15 or 16, I ran past a strong, young, built young man who was having severe cramps and he was on the side of the road. And I remember feeling good about myself that I was doing better than him. But then I remember the last few miles of my race, there was this short woman about this tall ahead of me. She was probably 50 pounds heavier than I was. And I couldn't catch her. And it was irritating me. And this is what happens when you run in the grind lane. Legalism produces judgmentalism. In fact, it even produces a perverse pleasure when you find out that somebody else in the race has failed. Because it makes you feel better about your race. And this was happening in the Galatian churches. In fact, in the same chapter, Paul said in verse 15, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And so the race becomes a grind when my faith community becomes my competition. But here's another reason. You lose the hope of winning. Now, let me be clear to say that God's law is good. And obeying God's law is good. Legalism is not obedience. Legalism is thinking that my law keeping is redemptive. 
Legalism is implying that there are some things I can do that somehow obligate God regarding my relationship to Him. Now, you be very careful about that because here's what Paul says. Everybody who lets himself be circumcised is obligated to keep the whole law. Here's what he's saying. You want to run in the grind lane, you had better run a perfect race. Now, can you say that? I heard a preacher one time was making that point to his church. He was saying, is anybody here flawless? Is there anybody here who's perfect? Is there anybody here who's never made a mistake? To his surprise, one man in the church stood up. And he said, are you saying you're perfect? And the man said, no, I'm just standing for my wife's first husband. Well, here's the reality. Nobody runs a perfect race. And the problem with the grind lane is that the standard always increases. I don't care how well you run. The grind lane demands more. Let me illustrate it this way. You notice my little treadmill here. This treadmill is an illustration of life in the grind lane. I remember when uh, Jamie and I planned to adopt our second child, our precious daughter Morgan. I had to go and get a physical for the state of Texas before we could proceed. And so I went to this place, paid some good money. And one of the things they did, they hooked up some things to my chest and they put me on this treadmill. And this little lady was handling the test. And she started me and we started walking just like this. And I'm doing fine. She's checking my heart rate. And I'm feeling pretty good about things. But then she punched a button and it started going just a little bit faster. I'm still doing okay. But then she punched another button and the incline raised. Then she punched it and it started going a lot faster. And I had to start to work a little bit to stay up. Now, I'm determined that I'm going to impress her with what I'm doing. But she just kept punching buttons and punching more buttons. And finally, it dawned on me. I don't care how well I do. She's got more buttons to punch. I'll never beat this machine. No matter how much I do, she can always crank it up more. Now. How many of you feel like your religious experience is this? You're doing your best. You're sweating hard. But there's always more. There's always more you could do. There's always more you could learn. There's always more you could say. There's always more you could attend. More, more, more. This is all the grind lane ever gives you. There's no joy in the grind lane. You work and you work and you work. And at the end of the day, you're in the same place where you started. Now, the problem is drift. Without even realizing it, we allow ourselves to be moved to a new path. People cut in on us. And so one of our responsibilities, Paul says, is to take a stand when people tempt us to run a different race and stay in the grace lane. And here's what that means. It means you run to the cross for righteousness. 
You see, the great flaw of legalism is it fails to understand the death of Christ. Paul says, if you let yourself be circumcised, or you can fill in the blank, if you let yourself just fill in the blank of what the latest religious fad is, Christ is of no value to you. What does he mean? Earlier in chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul said, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. If you could get right with God by keeping law, the law of Moses was good enough. You see, when Christ is on the cross and he says, it is finished, that is his declaration that he has just completed the perfect race. And so now my hope for righteousness is not based on how well I can perform or how much more I can do. It's not based on my perfect understanding or on my perfect obedience. It is based on my trust in the perfection of the race he ran that is now credited to me. I don't work for righteousness. Paul says, I wait for it in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. He said the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I fought the good fight. Notice I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. I think this is one of the powerful messages of the act of baptism. I know sometimes people talk about baptism like it's a work to be added to faith. The Bible never uses the word work. When it talks about baptism, it only uses the word faith. In fact, in Galatians, the most powerful book in the New Testament about the grace lane, you have one of the most powerful appeals for baptism. Paul said in chapter 3 that it's in baptism that we're clothed in Christ. In other words, think about it. In baptism, what do you do? You don't do anything. It's done to you. You are completely passive. All you do in baptism is you receive. And it's the metaphor for our salvation. We simply, by faith, receive the righteousness of Jesus. Now, I recognize in a world that wants to measure everything by performance, that is scandalous. Paul said, people are offended by my gospel. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 11, if I were still preaching, you must be circumcised, as some say I do. Why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ... No one would be offended. See, nobody's ever going to be offended if you say, okay, here's how you get right with God. You be a nice person and you do more nice things. That sounds like a burden, but it soon becomes a burden because they keep cranking up what it means to be nice. You see, the grace lane is the only lane that will actually get you somewhere it will get you to calvary peter o'hanlon is a police officer in england he says one night in the village he found a little boy about five years old that was lost and he didn't know how to get home he mentioned several landmarks in that village but the boy didn't recognize any of them and then he pointed to a church in the middle of town that had a big steeple with a cross and he pointed to that steeple He said, do you recognize that? And he said, that little boy said, yes, if you can take me to the cross, I can get home. And there's a powerful message for us. The grace lane takes us to the cross. And the cross is how we get home. Let me tell you something else about the grace lane. 
In the grace lane, you run in the power of the Spirit. Now think about it. Why, after 2,000 years, does legalism still exist? Simple answer. Legalists are still around because we want them. And we want them because we often find slavery safer than freedom. See, here's our fear. Well, if we just preach you're saved by grace and we take away the restraint of law, people may not do what they're supposed to do. And people may do what they're not supposed to do. But here is the huge flaw with that kind of thinking. No external code can change an internal bent. You remember in history class studying about prohibition? We passed a law. You can't drink. Did it stop drinking? You can't change a heart by an outside code. A yoke, and that's what he calls the law. A yoke can control what you do, but it can't change who you are. So does holiness just not matter? Of course not. See, in the grace lane, God doesn't set holiness aside, but he sets holiness inside in the indwelling presence of Of his spirit. I love the way Romans 8 reads from the message. Look at it with me. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin. Instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for. But we couldn't deliver. Is accomplished as we. Instead of redoubling our efforts. Simply embrace what the spirit is doing in us. You see grace is not just a doctrine. Grace is a lifestyle. Grace is past and present. Grace is what God has done for us in Christ and what God is doing in us through His Spirit. I remember reading about a mother who went out to visit her freshman son at college in the fall semester. And she was appalled when she entered his dorm room and found posters of scantily clad women on the walls. But she didn't say anything. When he came home for Christmas break that year, among other gifts, she gave him for his dorm room a picture of Jesus. She went back out in the spring semester to visit again. And when she came into the room this time, all those posters were down. And that picture of Jesus was up. And she began to pry. Son, what's different about your room? Have you painted the walls? Something's changed. And he smiled. He said, Mom. He said, when, when Jesus came in the room, some of the other stuff had to leave. Now, this is Paul's fierce belief. That when we let the Spirit of Christ in our life, He begins to produce in us the character fruit that you'll never be able to grind out on your own. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. But the Spirit only operates in the grace lane. 
So later in the same chapter, Paul says, verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You know, some of you, and this grieves me to say this, but some of you, in fact, some of us were raised to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. What a tragedy. Don't ever be afraid to ask God to fill you with more of His Spirit, to surrender more to the Spirit, to be led more by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to make you do weird things. The Holy Spirit is going to help you do Christ-like things. He will reform your soul and He will reframe your goal. Because you see, when you run in the grace lane, you run where love is the wind. See, grace totally changes the way I view the other runners around me. Suddenly I realize we all need grace. And so I don't see other runners as fellow competitors, but I see them as mutual encouragers. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And it's also the goal of the law. Notice what Paul said in verse 14. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the irony. People want to pull you out of the grace lane so that you will obey the law. When in fact, Paul says, it's only in the grace lane. That you will live out the heart of the law. Because the heart of the law is the law of love. And because God is love, love will always be the win. I heard a powerful story recently that illustrates this. Last fall... September 16th, there was a typical 5K race in Minnesota among high school students on cross-country teams. There were 261 competitors. One of them was 16-year-old Josh Ripley of Andover, Minnesota. Big, tall, 6-foot, 5-inch boy, a good runner. One of the boys expected to do quite well in the race. But when the race was less than halfway over... Josh heard a sharp scream. And over by the fence, there was five foot five Mark Pulaskis. He was a freshman from Lakeville South High. He had been inadvertently spiked. And he was crumpled in pain, bleeding profusely by that fence. I want you to watch this video clip and see what happened. See, Josh stopped running and he went over to that fence and he picked Mark up and said I'm going to take you to your coaches he carried Mark for a quarter mile as he did every single runner past him he gave Mark to his coaches who took care of him Mark required 20 stitches in his ankle 
And then he went on to run. He passed 50 more runners. He finished 211th out of 261. But you know, I would say Josh was a winner. And the media picked up the story and talked a lot about what good sportsmanship he displayed. But there's an important part of the story most of the media didn't pick up. You see, Josh is a strong follower of Jesus. In fact, he asked for Mark's permission to pray for him while he carried him. And he did. And when someone asked him later if he was disappointed that he finished so poorly in the race... Josh said, no, I'm just thankful God put me there when he did so I could help. It seems to me that the choice to run in the grace lane doesn't just bring joy, doesn't just renew hope. But it makes you a much sweeter person to run beside. You see, here's the deal. Jesus didn't come to change the old law for a new law. Jesus came to change the old you for a new you. And Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can change you if you don't change lanes would you bow and pray with me please and so father I'm asking now in the powerful name of Jesus that you help us and some of us maybe for the first time to fully accept the gospel of grace that Jesus ran a perfect race and that his result is credited to us, not because of what we do, but because of how we trust. We, we said Jesus is Lord and Son of God. We were baptized into His death and resurrection. We're clothed in His righteousness. We're walking His path. He's leading the way. He has run the perfect race. Oh God, help us to stay in His lane. And follow Jesus. And God, I know some are tired. The race they've run has worn them out. Father, teach them how to stop running in their effort and start running in the power of the Holy Spirit. Renew, God, their energy and their hope in the power of your Spirit. May we never be afraid, God, to let the Holy Spirit be our fuel, our guide, and our power. And God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can learn to love like Jesus. We can learn to love and bless and pray for and care for and encourage all the people running around us. 
And we ask you to show us, even this very next week, a tangible way that we can pick up somebody else and carry them closer to the cross. And we ask all of this in the name of the one who ran a perfect race and who gives perfect grace. In Jesus we ask. Amen. And so now, let me ask you to stand. And as we celebrate the grace of God, the grace that is enough for us, it's a time for you to receive that grace, to pronounce your faith, to call Jesus Lord and Son, and even to be baptized into His righteousness. There are ministers now at the front of the auditorium and you can come and make that desire known as we praise the grace of God.